Great afternoon. You are in the fast lane with Sarah Jane. And today I have a 39 year veteran of Walt Disney World with me. He is actually, he is a celebrity of Walt Disney World. And I did not know that there's a movie and everything coming out on this guy. And he is known as the happiest man on the planet. So please welcome Billy Flanagan into the fast lane with me today. Hello, everybody. Hello. So I love that Billy is wearing his Pure Haven shirt because that is where I met him was the national conference in Nashville. I was a speaker and he was the MC of the whole show. And I was sitting backstage uh, with one of my friends before we went on and we just got to talking and I didn't know anything about him until sitting at that table. And I said, oh, you'd be really fun on my podcast because I encourage people to do better, live better, be better. And this is what you've done your whole life. I have, (laughs) or at least I try. (laughs) So first of all, how, how did you get started with this? I mean, 39 years at one job is almost unheard of these days, but you are in a extremely high capacity job. Like this is, you have to be good at what you do to be doing it for this long. Right. And when you say one job, you know, I, I'm a singer, an actor, a dancer, a host. So my one job, although I was in the same place for all those years, I've had hundreds of different jobs within that. And that's what's kept me there for so long. When I started out in 1982, I was just about to graduate college. I went to an audition that I had not even expected to go to. I went to a Shakespeare class and no one was in there, but me. I went to the Boston Conservatory of Music and the teacher said, everybody's at the Disney audition today. He said, go get your stuff and go to the audition. And I'm like, okay. So I ran home, grabbed some dance shoes and some music and went to the audition and I ended up getting the job. So I came down here just two weeks before I graduated college to start my rehearsals, ran back, graduated, came back down and I've been here ever since. So I started out as a kid of the kingdom dancing in front of Cinderella Castle And then from there, just then Epcot opened. I did the opening ceremonies of Epcot, actually 39 years to the date today. I was opening that. And then I became what they call a world dancer. So Epcot had a show over in the American Gardens Theater and it was an open stage at the time. And I was the host and the singer for the world dancer show. So although I did some dancing in the show, most of my job was singing i was dressed like an irishman because they had we represented all the countries around the world and their specific dancing and stuff so i would go in and i would say hello everybody we're the world dancers and i would sing danny boy and you know some all songs throughout the show and then um from there you know it just moved on i went over to back to the magic kingdom to do a show called fantasy follies and then i went to do the hoop to do review which was a dinner show over there And then Melvin the Moose Breakfast Show and the Diamond Horseshoe. And it just went on and on and on. So at one point back in 1986, I had been there five years or just about almost five years. And I knew 15 different shows in the parks between shows and conventions all at the same time. And I became what they call the park swing. So I would just go from show to show to show. And I only had six days off the entire year in 1986. So it was such an exciting thing for me because, you know, it was like, hey, can you save this show? And hey, and I'd run from the Diamond Horseshoe and then I'd go in between shows and do a show with the Kids of the Kingdom. And then I'd go do a horseshoe. And so it was just 
on the go, really high energy, and I loved it. What a and challenge. Just, yeah, you know, just to keep all that in my head and just to know that I was saving the day. <laughs> so are, do you have other family members that are involved with, with uh, Disney World, or did you, like, is this how you and your wife met, or what's the story with this? Well, uh, no, no, no. We actually met before I came down. We met back in Massachusetts. My sisters and I had a nightclub act called the Copy Kittens and Company. And ironically, it was a lip sync group. My sisters couldn't sing. So uh, we, we did that. And, and Karen was one of the Copy Kittens. And then I left to come down here. And that's when we got engaged. And we were married a year after our, our time. So the reason I asked that is because that's a lot like for, you know, for a family to, you know, for you only have six days off a year, you have to be a very, have a very supportive spouse. Woo! Yeah. And two babies at the same time. I mean, like two in diapers, they were only 15 months apart. Yeah. So that's, it, it was really why that one year kind of took a toll on us as a family. And after in, in 1987, I moved out to Disneyland. I transferred out to Disneyland. They only had a few shows out there. So it was kind of a mental thing for me. I was having a hard time saying no. And I was a, a total workaholic, but I loved what I did, you know? So, mm -hmm. and, and we were making good money. And so we moved out to California and Karen actually got a job working in the same show I did. She was a dancer. She was a New England Patriot cheerleader and a, a dancer and all out, out there. And we did the same show for a while, you know, having, it was, it was rough. You know, it was only on days that the boys were in school that we could work together. Mm -hmm. Otherwise we'd have to work opposite shifts. And, you know, we stayed out there for about two years. Karen got pregnant with our third and it was really expensive to live out in California at the time. And then Disney world was opening Disney's Hollywood studios and they, or it was Disney MGM studios back then. And they called and asked if I wanted to come back. And so I, I, I did. And during my two years at Disneyland too, Disney World also used me for two travel trade shows. So they pulled me out of Disneyland and I traveled and did these shows uh, to promote Walt Disney World and all the upcoming things there too. So I kind of always had my toes at Disney World and it was more home. So after a couple of years out there, we moved back and I kind of slowed down a little bit and then there were three babies. So, you know, right. but it was, it was just, it, and still is such a, a great place to work. I, I love it. Every day I go in, I never dread going to work. How many days a week do you work right now? Right now I, uh, I only am scheduled four days a week. Mostly I do five days. Uh, they, once we came back from COVID, it, everybody got a four-day contract, which would still make you full-time. But it, they did that in a way so they didn't have to bring so many people back. So within our cast, we have built-in subs. So we can all pick up a fifth day on straight time and not, not have the company go into overtime or anything like that. So, you know, I'll say I work five days a week, usually. Weekends off, it's normal. You know, it's kind of that, that's my normal nine to five except it's 9.30 to 3.30, you know. Right. So. And what is your favorite show that you've done? There was a show at the top of the Contemporary Hotel called Broadway at the Top. 
It was a Broadway review with two guys, three girls and a live orchestra. And ever since I was there in 1982, I went to see the show as a guest. And I thought, I've got to do this one day. But I was not the caliber of singer that they were up there. So I worked really hard on my voice. And when I came back from Disneyland, that was one of the bargaining tools. He said, you know, if you come back, we'll put you at the top of the world. So I became the swing up there. So I learned both the male parts. And it was a nighttime show. You got dressed up in the tuxedo. It was just, you know, this was before Disney was on Broadway too. So it was all Broadway music, which is just so me. And I, I loved it. I couldn't get enough of it. We only did two shows a night. And it was such a great time in my life. That's awesome. Yeah. What? So you said you do two shows a night. So what about during the day? How many shows do you normally do? Well, that was for that specific show, probably at yep. the top. So right now at Frozen, I do five shows a day. Five? So they're, yeah, they're 35 minute shows and we do five of them. Very vocally demanding. The show I do right now is called Frozen for the First Time in Forever Celebration. And it is two historians, comedic historians, which I'm one of them. It's a guy and a girl. And then we tell the story of Frozen and Anna comes out and Kristoff and Elsa. And then they show the videos for a sing-along for the kids. So we're there to basically kind of comedically tell the story of what happened. And then they play the song. They have sing-along, you know, little snowflakes that bounce on the words and everybody gets to sing in the audience. And then we go back into the story and then we set up the next song. And so it kind of works like that. And then the, the grand finale is when Elsa finally appears and <laughs> sings her Let It Go. And it's just awesome and real fun and funny what has been the most stressful show that you had that you've done yeah i would have to say finding nemo the musical so how how it worked at disney is i was only ever status at about 15 different shows through my almost 40 years there but i had learned so many more like through my years i have done over 650 shows parades travel trade shows convention shows and all these different things. So I had done a show called Tarzan Rocks over at Disney's Animal Kingdom, which was my second favorite show. <laughs> and it was fantastic, great show. They ended up closing Tarzan to redo the stage and close it. And they were bringing in a show called Finding Nemo the Musical, which was a show written by Bobby and Kristen Lopez, who also wrote all the music for Frozen. And um, so they wrote this musical about Finding Nemo and it was done with puppets and people. So you would see the actors, we would be puppeteering at the same time, but acting and moving. And so it was a lot of parts and pieces that we had to all put together. It was a six week rehearsal process. And on top of all that, you had to move as if you were underwater. So we would do Tai Chi in the morning to get us used to what they call the 70-30. So you'd you know, move 30% you know, one way and then 70% the other and then back. Oh so as you were doing all this, you were you know, still acting and puppeteering. And it was such a brain bobble <laughs> every time you went in. And you know, the puppeteering alone was incredible because the two gentlemen that really taught us all the puppeteering were fantastic and they learned a lot from Henson, but it was, you know, basically two hands and they were like some of the puppets 
were like brakes on a bicycle, but one would do the eyes, one would do the mouth, and you would have to, you know, move your eye so just the eyes were halfway closed to make it look like it was evil, because I played Bruce the shark, and then the mouth was moving, but then sometimes you wouldn't want it to move too much, and then, then he was screaming, so you'd have to push it all the way down. So uh, the choreography behind all of that, on top of your feet moving, and your acting, and your singing, was just a stressful, stressful process. Once you got it, it became second nature after a while. But the process was huge, especially because it was a new show too. And they were developing things and learning things. But it's still um, to this day, well, the show ended up closing, unfortunately, because of COVID. But it was always a six weeks rehearsal process because it would take that long for everybody to learn all of the different parts and pieces. Now I cross-trained into the show, into different roles. So the rehearsal process was easier for me because I already knew the mechanism and how all the puppets worked. So if I went from Bruce to doing, you know, Anchor, which was another shark, it was same, same, you know, you just had to get used to the, the wide head as opposed to the big head and the puppet was a little lighter. So you know, things like that made it easier for the rehearsal process and didn't take that long. But if you were new in the show, it was six weeks. So obviously you're a very talented guy. And one thing I have to say I'm in awe of is how you write things on the fly. You are so creative. Oh, thank you. So we, at the, at the Pure Haven conference, there's pretty much a different skit or little segment in between everyone and this is where I have seen you the most I have not seen you on the Disney stage which I really would love to uh, be able to do at some point so that's why um, I'm comparing it to this but you would sit in the back and you would just make little notes and then you would get up on stage and just own it like that's a gift well it's it's a fun process to do you know I love to learn and when I'm at a conference like that there's so many inspirational speakers, you know, yourself included, you and you just pick what you get out of it, trying to get the audience to respond to what has just been said. Because a lot of times, as you know, having been in an audience, when there's so many talking heads, eventually your brain goes numb. Mm -hmm. It's like, how much information can you take? So if you take those specific points that you want to get across to the audience, and make them humorous or put them in a song, it kind of puts a different spin on it and gets people to remember it. So over the years, that's kind of what I've learned, especially with direct sales, is finding those special points and pieces to be able to go out and, and really highlight for the speaker that has just spoken so that the audience is ready for the next one, but still gets to take away something from the other one. And you kind of brainwash them by throwing in a song or a dance or something that makes it a little lighter than what it was, just was presented as. No, it was a lot of fun. Um, yeah. Let's talk about your flanograms. I've been watching some of those. They are so fun. Yeah, during COVID, you know, I'm not somebody that can sit still for very long. I'm used to being on stage. I'm used to performing. I love being around people. And what happened was after the first two weeks of COVID, you know, we all thought, you know, it was going to be shut down for a week or, you know, two was crazy. But when it wasn't coming back, I'm like, I, I can't just 
sit around and I know everybody was supposed to stay home and stay isolated and all that. And I still, I rode my bike every day. I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't necessarily call myself a biker, but I just, it was something I did. I did about 15 to 20 miles in, in a day and just to get out and move around. And two, all the gyms were closed. And on the bike trail that I ride on, there are workout equipment along the way. So that was kind of my workout. But after two weeks, I thought, you know what? I'm sure everybody is just going crazy and wanting visitors. So I said, if somebody lives that I know right off the bike trail, I'm just going to stop at their house and say hello. So I knocked on this girl's door and I backed up, you know, the, the safe distance and she answered her door and I delivered a singing telegram. So I would do my little, it's your Billy Flanagan, your Billy Flanagan. I'm here to say hello, hello, it's your Flanagan, your Billy Flanagan. Cause I want you to know that I bike 15 miles for one of your smiles. And then I would say their name, sing their name. Hannah. Well, she just started crying her eyes out. And then we just, it was so sweet. And, you know, I was just being wackety dackety Billy and, you know, just, hi, how are you? And she's like, I have not seen anybody in two weeks and I don't know what's going on. And it's, everything was so stressful. And so we just chatted for a while. I took a picture of us and, and then I left. And that night she posted on Instagram that I had stopped by and what I had done. And, you know, I was started reading comments of, oh, I hope he comes to my house. I hope he comes to my house. So I started seeing who was in those comments. And then the next day, because I wasn't doing anything, <laughs> I went to that person's house. And so I would start gathering addresses of people secretly through other people that I'd already visited. Say, hey, can you get so-and-so's address or so-and-so commented? And then people would say, oh, you'll never come to my house. I live so far away from you. So I started, that was a challenge for me. Mm -hmm. So I just started biking ridiculous miles in a day, you know, 50, 60, 70, 89. I, I, my oh, longest day was a little bit over a hundred, <clears throat> but you know, people were living like three and four cities away from me. And I would have to try to find a safe way to get to the house on my bike because there's not trails all over the place. Mm -hmm. So it'd be like, okay, so if I go, a couple of them, I actually went, rode through Disney, which was horrifying. I felt like I was in the apocalypse because there was nobody there. And I'm thinking as I'm riding through, not even a security car, no cars in the parking lot. And I'm like, did I miss something? Because this is crazy. But I would ride through Disney to get to people that lived on the opposite side of Disney town. So it was like 40 miles one way. And then after I'm like, I rode 40 miles for one of your smiles. And I'm, I know now I got to ride 40 miles back home. <laughs> so it was an 80 mile way. But what was happening is, you know, because it became such a thing and I was doing it basically for the people I worked with at, at Finding Nemo. And then it kind of expanded. So I started mapping out my days the night before saying, all right, I'm going to do everybody that lives in Davenport that I know. So I would map this out. Okay, I'm going to go to their house and I'd look on the maps. Okay, after I go to Andrea's, I'm going to go to 
Evan's house and then I'm going to go to Grace's house. And, and I would do like nine people in a day and just go from house to house to house. But in the beginning, everybody was home. No, and if you weren't home, you were at the grocery store and you were going to be back in 10 minutes because no one was going anywhere. Mm-hmm. So I never had any fails as, you know, I was just seeing all these people and people would go, oh my God. <laughs> it, was, it was so fun to see how excited they were to get the flanagram because it just became a thing. And then the, the first three girls I did go visit started doing a campaign to try to get me on some good news. John Krasowski had that little, they said, just put up your flanograms and then go ahead and um, tag some good news in it. So at the time when they made this, my daughter said, dad, you should see this campaign that's going out for you. They were doing it as a surprise. And then she showed me and it said he'd ridden a thousand miles. Well, by the time that came out, I had gone over 2000. So it had just grown and grown. And I never did get on some good news, but because of that campaign, there were magazines and podcast people and news outlets started reaching out to me to do little stories on it. And then one of my friends, uh, Vanessa Ray, she's actually an actress in the show Blue Bloods. She was our original Nemo in Finding Nemo the Musical. She lives in California and her husband is a singer and he was singing in Florida when the lockdown happened and got the last flight out of Orlando to go home. Well, his car was stuck here because he drove out here. And she's like, anybody know anybody that can drive a car to California or, or whatever? And I'm thinking, hey, if I put my bike on the back and buy a bike suitcase that will fly me back, if I can arrange all this, I'll do it. She's like, okay. So I threw my bike on the back of her car and drove. And then I would stop in states along the way if I knew people that lived in that state because they were saying on all the comments, well, I, I'm never gonna get one because I live in Texas and I'm never gonna get one because I live in Arizona and, I'm, and I live in California. So I didn't tell anyone I was going. I didn't post anything for days. And then I showed up at my friend Paul's house in Texas and his whole family was so gracious and he was so blown away. And he goes, I knew you would get here somehow. I just knew it. Did you bike for Florida? I'm like, no, I rode my car. But what I would do is I'd park the car far enough away so that I could sing an impressive amount of miles. I didn't want to go up and go, I bike half a mile. (laughs) That wasn't going to do it for me. So so I would do that. And that's how I made my way all the way across the country to California. And then I flew back. And then I decided I was going to drive up to visit my mom who lives in Massachusetts. So I got in my Jeep and I put my bike on the back and I drove up and I stopped at every state along the way, visiting people in Virginia and Georgia and South Carolina and North Carolina and all the way up. And then I did my family up there and drove back. And on my way back, People Magazine had reached out. So I had talked to them and I was, they ended up doing an article in there for me. The doctors TV show reached out Good Morning America and they were all finding me on Facebook. And um, so I reached out to all of them. I was on all their news outlets. And then I decided when I got back from that trip to drive up to Chicago to see my son and his family. And then I stopped along the way 
so the mid the Midwest I would do there. So I did Indiana and Kentucky and Tennessee and all that. And you know so people I, in all these states? Yes, because you know so many people have moved from Disney to all over the country oh. to where he's working. So I I visited sixteen different states, over five hundred people, and set a little over seven thousand miles in the time that I did all that. So oh. it was it was just crazy, crazy. And so what had happened is there was a production company out of uh, Georgia and a director from California got together and they reached out to somebody that they knew locally in Central Florida, said, do you know this guy, Billy Flanagan? And she goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they said, could you see if he's ever had a documentary about him made? So she reached out to me and I started laughing. I'm like, no, <laughs> who wouldn't want to make a documentary about me? She goes, well, these two guys do. So they reached out and I contacted, they contacted me and I ended up uh, interviewing and they like, yeah, we're really interested in this story. And then once they heard my stories about Disney and just personal stories about my life and stuff, they said, you know what, we're going to make this documentary. We're going to call it the happiest man on earth and we're going to make it happen. So I thought, okay, great. And never thinking that it would actually happen. And I just got an email this morning from the director who said that, um, uh, the, there's the colorist is coloring the movie right now or whatever. And as soon as that's done, they are submitting it to film festivals all over the country and the world. Wow. So into film festivals, you know, then they decide if they're going to pick it up and show it. And if they do, I get to go to all those film festivals and promote it. I don't, I don't know what, a, what, what all that happens. But recently when I was in, I just did a show in San Diego and I decided to extend my stay and I flanagrammed the, the director because I'd never met him. I'd only ever met him over Zoom. So I just, I said, I can't let this film come out and I've never flanagrammed him. So I rented a car and brought my bike with me and drove up from San Diego up to LA and then biked to Pasadena where he was and gave him a flanagram. And then uh, I was on the Dr. Laura show. Do you know Dr. Laura Schlesinger? Mm -hmm. She's a radio personality, a psychologist who I have loved for years. and and have always wanted to meet and her team reached out to me I did an interview and they said well if you're ever in California let us know so I let them know <laughs> they set up they let me flanagram Dr. Laura I went oh to her studio and I was a guest on her radio program and it was like such a, a bucket list dream come true thing for me so all that just recently happened so it was great so are you always like, are you like this at home? Are you, ha are you happy on stage? You're happy at home. You're like one energy. Um, uh, people, <laughs> people always say that I'm the energizer bunny. I, you know, I'm 61 years old. I have so much energy. Uh, my motto is sleep when you're dead. So, you know, I don't require a whole lot of sleep. And once I'm up, I fill my day, you know, relaxing is kind of not what I do. You know, a bike ride for me is relaxing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I laughed the other day, I did this post about, I thought I started my day really late because I was up until three in the morning the night before I was hosting a show. And then by the time I got home, it was late. 
And I thought, my gosh, it's 10 o'clock and I'm just starting my day. But in that day, I was able to, you know, do a 20 mile bike ride. I went to SeaWorld to see my daughter go do a show that she does over there. I signed my son and his family into the Magic Kingdom, spent a little bit of time with them, came home, watched, washed my Jeep. And then that night went to a show that Kelly O'Hara, a Broadway actress, was doing locally here in Orlando. So, you know, that's kind of, I fill my days with stuff like this. Like after this podcast, I have an appointment and then I'm going to get my hair cut and then I have an event that I'm hosting tonight. So wow. I just, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, it's just inbred, you know, I've, I've always been very energetic and on the go. And I know I exhaust people. People are like, I can't be your friend. You're too exhausted. <laughs> no, I, I absolutely find you. It's so fun. And I want everyone to follow you on social media because I really enjoy seeing those days. Cause that day you, you just described, I remember looking at it and thinking, what, what a fun life, like all the different dimensions. That was a pretty multifaceted day. A little bit of family, a little bit of friends, got your Jeep. Walk. I mean, there's a lot going on that day. Yeah. And it's so funny because people will say, hey, what are you doing after work? And they're like, I'm going home and laying on my couch and watching TV. And don't make me feel guilty about it. Yeah. You know, they say, hey, have you watched this show? I'm like, is it 30 minutes long? Because if it's not, I probably didn't see it. So, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll go to a movie for sure. Yeah. But it's so funny because once I sit down, I'm out. You know, mm -hmm. so if I try to sit down and watch a show, and that was the thing with COVID too. It was like, I can't stay in my house and watch TV. Mm -hmm. And everybody was binging this and binging that, binging this. And, mm -hmm. and my daughter even said, dad, I see you less now than when you were working because you're biking 12 hours a day. I'm like, well, you know, I'm going four miles. So, yeah, but it, it's, it's what I love. It keeps me busy. I'm not unhappy doing it. And one of the things for me is, I love an audience. I love, I love to make people smile or cry either way. So, and that's what happened with these planograms. It was so, so funny because people would literally just break down and cry that a, they were on the list. To, you know, they're like, I can't believe that I was on the list. <laughs> well, I, I saw their comments, you know, about, oh, these are great. These are great. Keep going, Billy. And I'd be like, oh, I got to go see her. I didn't know them that well. You know, some of them were technicians and mm -hmm. people that I had worked beside, but hadn't really been friends, friends with, but it meant so much to them. And it, that just made me feel good that I could just spread a little happiness in such a time of despair for so many people. Mm -hmm. And it worked out for me. You know, I, COVID didn't stink for me, even though I wasn't working for, you know, a five month period. Mm -hmm. And then when, uh, when Disney did decide to bring back a show, the show that I'm doing now, I did not know this show when it COVID happened. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately for 16 other people who knew the role, <clears throat> they ended up bringing me back and taught me the show which I was so honored and humbled by because, and they had mentioned you during a time where they were getting a lot of bad press because they were opening the park and, you know, 
people were saying Disney's unsafe and how could they do that? How could they put people's safety at hand? They said during that time where they were getting so much negative publicity, you were giving us so much positive publicity because every article said Disney performer bikes mm-hmm. 7,000 miles, Disney performer does it, Disney performer. So <clears throat> they were appreciative of that. And I think too that they were trying to help me get to my 40 years. So I, I recently just signed my 40th contract. So on May 2nd of 2022, I will have completed 40 years uh, performing. Wow. Yeah, so that's unprecedented at Disney. I mean, there's been people that have been there 50 years. You know, today's Disney's 50th anniversary. And, um, but nobody has been there as a contracted entertainer for that many years and consecutively contracted because every year we have to be renewed at Disney. Every year our contract gets renewed. So it's not a given that you have a job at the end of your year, ever. So, so, First of all, I'm happy to hear that you don't like to watch TV because watching TV is very stressful to me because I feel like I'm getting nothing done. So people will talk about shows and I'm like, eh, I'm probably not going to, I'm probably not going to do it. Okay. I can give you Schmigadoon on Apple TV. It's a 25 minute show. There's only six episodes. I wind down at the end of the night. I have a protein shake and I, and that's I what you watch that. See, and I watch Golden yeah. Girls. If I wind down at okay. the end of the night, that's what I'm watching. Okay, 30 minutes or 20, you know, once there's no commercials, it's like 20 something. That I can do. I get it. You know? I, I want you to tell us uh, the last thing, because I want to be respectful of your time. If a person, I've never been to any Walt Disney land, Walt Disney World, whatever. And when I was little, I was, you know, the huge Walt Disney fan because I have all the VHS tapes of all the Disney movies uh, because I love them. Now, if a person has not been there, what should we be sure not to miss? Wow. Um, such a different world there now because of all the additions and all the things that still have not come back yet. I'm a big entertainment person. You know, theme parks, a lot of them are the rides and things like that. When I walk around, I'd like the people. So depending on what you enjoy, if you like the rides, of course, you know, you don't want to miss the Space Mountain, Splash Mountain over in the Magic Kingdom. I think they're opening Tron pretty soon. They may have opened it today. I'm not sure. Yeah. Thunder Mountain, all all those roller coaster rides, if you're into rides, and they've got at least one at each park, Rock and Roller Coaster over at at the Hollywood studios and then Expedition Everest over at Disney's Animal Kingdom. Um, If you're into culture and learning and stuff, of course, Epcot is fantastic. The food and wine festivals and everything that they do over there where you just hop from country to country and learn so much about everybody's different cultures. That's phenomenal and fantastic. But the fireworks show that just closed. I know they opened a new one last night for the 50th anniversary, but where they do projections on the castle and things like that, they're just bringing all that back. Breathtaking and something you do not ever want to miss. Hmm. Epcot just opened a brand new fireworks show, which is right in the middle of the lagoon. So Epcot basically is shaped like a circle and it's like a pumpkin, basically. So you go in the stem and then you can go around this huge lake 
and there's a different country every, you know, 100 yards or wherever. And in that lake, they do a huge fireworks show there to close the night. And that's spectacular. Over at the Hollywood Studios, of course, they just opened Star Wars Land. If you're a huge Star Wars fan, you want to go over there and do the Rise of the Resistance ride. I've not been on it yet, but I hear nothing but amazing things about it. Hmm. Over at Epcot, Thorn is a ride that I would suggest you do not miss. It is incredible. You are surrounded by this huge screen. They put you on this almost like a Ferris wheel and they lift you up and then you are act it's almost like you're in this scene wherever they're going and they soar they go all over the world and it just incredible so some of the technology and things that they they do now are just great you know i love the parades i love the shows you know beauty and the beast the indiana jones stunt show is just coming back to the hollywood studios which is huge um of course frozen is hilarious <laughs> and such a great show uh-huh. Over the Animal Kingdom, Finding Nemo the Musical did end up doing a sh- uh, close of show notice, but they are reopening a new version of it in 2022. So on Monday, because I was part of the full-time cast before the lockdown happened, I get to go in and audition for that. So I do hope that I, as much as I love Frozen, I do hope that I get to go back to Nemo because just working with the puppetry and singing and dancing and moving, you know, and acting, and it, it was, such a fun multifaceted show that I hope that I get to go back to, you know, I hope they don't take my, my number, my age. I always call it my number because although I'm, my number is high, my feels like age is way less. So I hope they go back to my feels like age. I said, if weather can have feels like temperature, I can have a good <laughs> You are certainly inspirational. And I love that daily you are just making people's days better. And you're the kind of person that when you make someone happy, that that just fills you up. And that's that's a great person. So I am happy to know you, Billy Flanagan. Well, thank you so much. I, I, I have really enjoyed this. I, I love talking about, you know, where I work and, and what I do on a daily basis, because I truly believe that in, in the darkest times to find to know that a simple, I'm gonna get emotional now, and I, this always happens every time I do this, mm-hmm. but the simplest thing can really change somebody's day. Mm-hmm. You know, and I would just read the posts about, I got a flanagram today, and I was in such a, you know, such a bad place, and it just made me so happy that somebody came to my door and knocked on my door. You know, so it's like never take any small act of kindness for granted. You know, you can always find something to do to help somebody else. And a lot of times I sacrifice a lot of stuff for myself because I love to help other people. Like this weekend, I have an audition on Monday and I should really be resting my voice for the next three days, but I'm doing a charity event tomorrow night for Shepherds for Shepherds of Hope. And, and my friends always say the one thing you never hear Billy say is no. (laughs) So, but, you know, I just know it's going to help them out. I'm going to help some people laugh and do some fun things and it's time. Who cares? You know, Mm -hmm. you can't get the time back. 
And so you may as well make the best of it. And putting smiles on people's faces is kind of what I love to do. So. Thanks for listening to the Fast Lane with Sarah Jane podcast. If you like what you hear, share the podcast and hit the subscribe button so you get updates on all new episodes. And we truly love feedback, so ratings and reviews are appreciated.